I'm very excited to tell you about American Giant. They're a company that makes clothing right here in the USA. They started with one great hoodie that turned into a 12-year journey to make more items here in the United States. And in the process, bring solid, dignified work to farm and factory towns across the country. I wanted to particularly highlight their work in supporting Rescue 22. The Rescue 22 Foundation provides the highest quality task-trained service dogs in order to address the mental and physical health of our nation's combat veterans. And American Giant has created a limited edition Rescue 22 classic full-zip hoodie to help fund a dog for a veteran who needs one. They're available on sale exclusively through American-Giant.com. I love companies that make it their mission to create jobs here in America, making high-quality products just like American Giant. Go to americangiant.com slash jack and get 20% off with the discount code jack at checkout. Once again, that's american-giant.com slash jack. This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is my friend, Justin Melnick. You might know him as Brock Reynolds on the SEAL Team CBS television show, which is now on Paramount+. Plus. He's the guy who handles the dog. Dita was the first dog, and Pepper is the current dog on that show who joined us on this podcast. You can also catch Pepper on a recent episode of Justified, pulling somebody out of a tree. Very cool. Justin also has an extremely interesting backstory that we discuss on the podcast. So now, without further ado, here's Justin Melnick. Justin, what's up, buddy? I'm so stoked to see you out Dude, here in Utah. Dude, so good to see you. I mean, crazy you were passing through on a little road trip between projects, probably. And who and who do we have here? Who did you bring? Uh, little Pepper the Dutchies with me today. Man. Uh, Dita's out swimming in the lake with the oh, family, enjoying awesome. retired life. Okay. Amazing. And you've got the uh, ver- uh, the large RV with so two dogs, family, and doing a little exploration of the western United States for a couple weeks. Two mouths, three kids and a wife, and wow. just the open road. Just oh, got uh, done with three days up in Cheyenne. Okay. There's PBR. Watching my oh, boys yeah. at the Carolina Cowboys nice. rip it up. How's that? Good time. Awesome. Kids like it. Kids loved it. Me and my wife are exhausted, but that's why there's Black Rifle Coffee. That's it, right there. I'm gonna. I'll join you. I will join you. To uh, your success, man. my friend. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you so much, man. You too. You too. This has been uh, awesome watching you from the early days at Shot all the way through uh, where we are today. No, it's been a wild ride. Who would have ever thought? Good times, man. Yeah, wild. Um, so you guys are on the road, and uh, what what, do you, what projects are you between right now? So the writer's strike, the actor's strike, there's no work uh, in the Hollywood stuff. Were you scheduled to be doing something right now? Oh, we should have been filming right now. Um, yeah. But it's, it's important. The strike mm-hmm. needs to happen. Uh, the writers need to be taken care of. The actors need to be taken care of. The background people. Um, I mean, I've never... I've never seen people work harder than in background. They're working 12 hours a day. And, and the fact that, you know, they want to scan them and use their yeah. their images and their voice for eternity without pay it when they only make 150 bucks a day, it's no bueno, man. Yeah. It's, uh, so this needs to happen. And, you know, when I get back, I'll go hit the picket lines with everybody. But 
I guess you don't really know when like, things are going to pick back up as far as filming goes because you don't know how long this is going to going to last. Same thing with us. We're pencils down on the scripts for the spinoff Ben Edwards uh, origin story series. So as soon as that strikes over, we'll pick those back up and get back to work. It's so funny because now, like, when you say that, it makes me understand how all the SEAL team feel, uh, fans feel. Because all I want to do is watch the prequel and the sequel. Nice. Um, you know, but we got to hey, do it. Hey, how it goes. Every, yeah. Yeah, every once in a while, this is, uh, is going to happen. Um, so you should be filming, but hey, things opened up and you're taking advantage of it and hitting the road. Hitting the road, getting ready to start a cattle company right now. What? Oh, yeah. What? Where are you doing this? Uh, up where I live in Santinez. No way. So right now, by the time this airs, hopefully we have the LLC named and our cattle brand registered. No way. Yeah. So what's uh, what's all that going to entail? Hopefully in the first year, uh, 350 to 450 head, um, about 9,000 acres of land, and... Um, uh, by year two, hopefully we have an additional 3,000 acre lease and a, an additional 5,000 acre lease. So so we're shooting big. Um, the idea of getting good beef out there for people is, 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 is kind of my dream. You know, I love Snake River Farms. They make incredible, incredible beef. Their genetics are flawless. Um, but it's fun. I want to be part of the process. So start it up and do it. Man, that is, that's amazing. Yeah, there's a few... Uh, out there now that are like you know they share the share the process uh, on on social channels and you get to kind of see uh, what they're all the work that goes in to, to get that that steak to 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 you whether it you know, shipped to you or to the grocery store or whatever and I think it makes you appreciate it a little more if you're kind of following along and you're not just like oh there's a steak in wrapped in cellophane as I'm walking through the grocery store toss it in the cart kids stop fighting you know whatever you know, it's like you think about all the work and uh, uh, that it's family owned and everybody else that's that's working on these properties and how it gets there so I think it's uh, that's awesome that you're gonna do that that's wild yeah, there's uh I mean there there's so many great steak companies out there right now that produce an incredible beef. Uh, a lot of veteran-owned companies are popping yeah. up, which are awesome. I love supporting those, yeah. getting that beef when I can. But, you know, so much of it is not just eating the beef. It, it's being out there with them, taking care of them, pushing mm -hmm. them, mending the fences, you know, making sure the water's running for them. It's therapeutic. Uh, and, and personally for myself, now that I have kids, it's really important for me uh, to teach them. You know, I want them to know where their food is coming from. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want them to understand, most importantly, what America is and what feeds America. Um, you know, living in Los Angeles and in California, we kind of easily lose sight of of what America is. Yeah. And uh, hopefully that business will be able to uh, bring them closer to it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's so important. That's why I like getting out there with the, with the family and hunting. So they're involved in every step of the process. And then we get to relive those memories when we, uh, when we grill up some, some venison on that, on that grill. Um, but yeah, with that Casey cattle company, yeah, that are owned operated. Um, but there's so many, so many out there right now that are all doing, doing great things. So that's cool, man. I like that. I didn't know you were, uh, going headed in that direction, but, uh, your path up to this point, man, you've had, you've had, quite an interesting run fuck man you never you know sitting in a nightclub in 2003 in paris hanging out with a bunch of supermodels i never thought i would end up 
No, I, was, I was the guy taking the actors out at night. I, you know, I never had any aspiration to be in Hollywood. I thought I'd own restaurants and hotels growing up, but just one thing led to another, and here, here, here I am. we are. <laughs> What's that? What were you doing in, in Paris? So I started. Hang on one second. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I started in Paris in. Uh, I actually started in New York in, in hospitality in like 1996, working in restaurants and uh, ended up going to college for a little bit for hotel restaurant management, okay. quit, moved to New York City and worked at a restaurant. Where were you growing up? New York City. You were in New York. Born so you moved to the actual city. Okay. No, I, I, always, I was born on the island of Manhattan. Okay. Like pure city kid. Oh, man. Uh, ended up dropping out of college to open up a restaurant for somebody in New York City getting fed up with restaurants and going to nightclubs. And, uh, I mean, for years, my job was literally to show up to a nightclub with all of my friends and hang out, eat and drink for free. It was pretty wild. Uh, so what's the deal with that? They just want people in there making it look like it's a, it's a scene and it's packed and justify the line outside or what's, what's going on there? They wanted celebrities and models, uh, filmmakers, artists, you know, people, People that wouldn't show up to these clubs generally just because, but free alcohol will get you anywhere. So hmm. how, how are you um, linking up with all these supermodels? Uh, just, that was my peer group of friends growing up in New York City. You know, I knew all the models, all the agents. Um, how does that happen? Just randomly. Like, really? how do I know all the guys, you know, at all the different organizations? You meet one they introduce you to a few, you grow a network of people by being a good person and taking care of people. Um, so we'd run around New York City, and then that kind of was the kick. Paris wanted to start doing that. Milan, uh, in London, Monaco, all these places around the world like saw what we were doing in the nightclubs and started hiring us and contracting us out and flying us all over the world for that kind of stuff. So it was pretty fun. I mean, at, at 22 Doesn't years sound old, horrible. Listen, now I don't, I think you'd have to pay me 250 grand to sit in a nightclub in New York City for the night. Like, yeah, it'd be torture. Yeah. Um, it's funny how you grow out of that stuff. 100%. And I remember going there and table service and all that stuff. And they have the, the you know, whatever that's part of the club that's a little private mm -hmm. and, and the, the bodyguard, whatever, the bouncer right there and all that sort of thing. And I forget what people were paying for that, but a lot. Oh, yeah. What do you pay for a table? It depends on the club. I mean, you go to highest like, end, highest end, you go to Le Cave in Saint Tropez. And you'll have Pakistan and India outbidding each other, you know, on bottle service and, you know, sending 300 bottles of Dom Perignon around the club for, to everybody or just spraying it on each other. It, it's obscene. It's nowadays, you know, I look at it and it's like you realize that 80 percent of their population is starving. And these people are there <laughs> spending that kind of money. It's kind of sad. But, you know, there's a level of wealth out there that, you know. Yeah, it's all relative to them. That night might have been like a dollar, uh, relatively speaking, yeah. to other people. It'd be like me and you splitting lunch. Yeah. Because they would do it 10 days in a row. Um, you know, you have Monaco, you have a bar in Monaco called Jimmy's where Coca-Cola during Grand Prix is 100 euro. Wow. You know, so it gets expensive. New York City, you know, you're probably looking at for VIP tables, you know, six, eight grand. Okay. Same thing in Vegas. Um I don't know what today's prices are. I literally have not stepped into a nightclub in probably five years. Uh, ended up doing that, getting kind of really bored of it. It, it just kind of, 
it lost its appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, the late nights, the drinking, uh, the smoke-filled rooms when you could smoke in, in nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, it, it was unhealthy. It, mm-hmm. it was and boring, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so I ended up getting into fashion photography because I knew all the people. I knew all the editors. I knew all the models. I was able to go backstage at Victoria's Secret and shoot. I was able to do whatever I want, move wherever I wanted within that. Sounds that awful. It sounds that's terrible. It had its own set of dramas at the time. But yeah, um, it was a good time. Uh, went from there. And again, just felt really lost. It was that same feeling of... of fake people mm-hmm. and I thought I'd find some creativity in the fashion art world side of it and ended up you know realizing it was the same people just a different time of day mm. um, another nightclub promoter at the time had uh, gone born again and found God and started focusing all of his contacts and assets uh, on developing wells in Uganda wow so this is probably like 2005, 2006 time frame. Okay. Uh, Joseph Coney is running around with the LRA. Oh, yeah. You know, you got uh, Gulu in northern Uganda, which is just like straight war zone. Mm-hmm. Millions of internally displaced peoples. Yeah. So one night I run into him and I'm like, hey, man, where you been? He's showing me pictures on his phone. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this because I was like, whoa this is awesome. Like you're helping people. This is, this is far beyond anything. Anybody I knew in New York city mm-hmm. doing this kind of stuff. So it kind of opened my eyes. And then uh, he started telling me about this well that he had just dug yeah. and he had the GPS coordinates for it, but he couldn't get actual eyes on it. Cause it was in the war zone. It was too dangerous. No one wanted to go up there. Yeah. So I said, give me the coordinates. I'll go. So I booked a one-way ticket to Uganda with my camera. He connected me with a fixer. And what should have been a four-day trip ended up being a 30-something day trip. And uh, ended up linking up with these people that were helping um, girls. So, you know, back, everyone's seen the movie Blood Diamond. So for all you guys who have seen Leonardo DiCaprio's Blood Diamond, great movie. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, that focuses in Sierra Leone with the RUF. And the way that rebellion was funding you know, funding its war was through blood diamonds, right? And they would take all those kids and make some of them child soldiers to fight, some to work the mines. Uh, Joseph Coney would take the girls, kidnap them, and sell them into human trafficking, basically. Um, The boys would get doped up and turned into child soldiers. And so this organization would go find these girls, basically... uh, Abduct is not the right term to use, but you're the... you're, you're, you're. a little hostage rescue. A little hostage rescue. They 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 basically get these girls out of those situations and then relocate them to other parts of the country into all girls boarding schools with rehabilitation, um, wow. and trade studies and things like that, and giving them uh, not only mental health but a a skill that they can apply afterwards to not ever having to go back to sex trade. Um, so did a bunch of pictures for them and and that's i got the bug for combat photography right then you know it's i always kind of thought that in nightlife and in fashion like it was a war zone of its own kind yeah but at least in actual war zones you know where the bullets are coming from yeah and it was a lot easier for me to process that um knowing who the bad guys were and who the good guys were versus being in a room with a bunch of bad guys and having half of them pretend to be good guys so uh, from there, 
ended up just booking one-way tickets all around the world to any war zone I'd heard about. Are you working for yourself or what's going on? Like where are these pictures? Like your next one, your next stop after Uganda, where do you go from there? And what do you think you're going to be doing there? And who's going to be using those pictures? So Uganda was for that organization mm. and everything internal there. Um, I then went back and did an art show in New York city. I had all these celebrities. I had all these models. I knew everybody. So I just rented a space and I created an art gallery and, um, got it all sponsored and, had all the pictures printed and then all the money from that went to just my next trip. And I mean, I had a buddy that was a huge benefactor for me. He is self-made millionaire, like, and certain places he'd be going in the world and I'd jump on his private jet and, and like then jump on a small plane somewhere and disappear for two weeks, three weeks, and then link up with him in another part of the world and fly back to America. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I made a lot of really good friends that are, were incredibly supportive of that whole thing. Yeah. So um, I think the culmination of that for me was Yemen. I ended up in Yemen in 2000, uh, 2007 during okay. the rise of the Houthi. Um, rebellion, the Shia rebellion up north, and then just almost got kidnapped a couple of times. It was like, it was a 30 day trip only lasted seven. It was nuts. The fact that I didn't die over there where I was at. I mean, just a quick story that you'll, yeah, I was going to ask you, what's their diciest situation over there? There was, there was one, um, I got, so one of them, one of them was on our way up north. I saw this village and I wanted to get some pictures of it. So I had, you know, I had a little satchel with a sat phone in it, you know, a couple grand in, 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 uh, us dollars, mm -hmm. passport, all that kind of stuff, just whatever I needed to kind of get through. And I left it in the car cause I was literally just jumping out of the car to take a picture. And my driver, my interpreter got out with me and my driver was supposed to wait right there. And I took a picture. I kind of like walked a little bit and there were a bunch of kids with AKs and, you know, so like just do what I do, man. I'm like making friends with them, showing them pictures of themselves and mm -hmm. getting them pose and, you know, trying to build a little bit of rapport. Yeah. And I turn around to ask my translator to, to tell them something and he's gone. Mm. The car's gone. Oh. I'm in this village, probably four, five, six hours north of Sana, mm. and like nothing, nothing. I shit my pants. <laughs> but, uh, I was like, fuck. So all I did was try and get as close. I'm like a 16 year old kid with an AK. Like if I have to, I can probably wrestle it out of his hand. I'll probably end up dying, but whatever. We'll not go alone. Right. Um, so dude, I literally just kept walking through the village. I didn't want to get stopped in one spot. Mm. Um, and, uh, and at the end of the village, I saw the car and I saw the translator and, and I was like, what the fuck? And he was like, too dangerous, man, too dangerous, too dangerous. Oh. And I was like, well, thanks. Yeah. So, so we took off. Uh, I got really pissed. I called their bosses. So it, things got weird between us to the point where I didn't feel comfortable that they weren't going to do something to me in retaliation. Yeah. So uh, we got back to the a hotel that we had. I took a shower, changed my clothes. And then I went to their rooms without any warning. And I'm like, we're going to the car right now. And I went to the driver first. And I said, go to the car, start it up. We're going to meet you down there. And uh, I went to the translator. I'm like, we're going right now. And he's like, mm. but, but, but. I'm like, nope, we're going right now. Drove back to uh, Sena, went to the hotel they dropped me off at. The second they left, had them call me a trusted taxi, went to a different hotel, and uh, changed my flights and got the fuck out of there. Dang. Um, that was, that was, 
that was an uncomfortable situation. But then, yeah. you know, for every scary story, there's some pretty funny ones too. So sure, man. What? Uh, how do you end up in Afghanistan? That was a fun one. So uh, I had been asked by a friend of mine to help train the New York National Guard on foreign weapon systems. And uh, so I was up there just range safety, you know, helping them out. How are you? What's your background with uh, foreign weapons up to this point other than those uh, AKs that those kids almost. <laughs> well, so foreign weapons aren't so different than American weapons. Like, I know. Or any weapons. I knew, I, well, I'd gone through a bunch of firearms training uh, earlier. Okay. Uh, private classes and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I had some interest in getting into law enforcement mm -hmm. uh, prior to that. So mm -hmm. I took it upon myself to kind of. Train up. Yeah, learn the skill. Went to a bunch of those courses that were out there. So to teach stuff, no credentials, but to range safety it and to, you know, be a second set of eyes and to help deal with malfunctions and things mm -hmm. like that. Totally okay. within my wheelhouse. Okay. So I went up, helped this guy out, and just became friends with the whole unit after that. Uh, really phenomenal unit. It was uh, the 69th, uh, New York National Guard, the, the oh. Fighting Irish. Um, they, they're... Their armory has photographs all the way back from the Civil War. Wow. Like Wild Bill Donovan was a uh, commanding officer of that unit. <laughs> okay. So a lot of history. So the um, lieutenant colonel asked me if I would be interested in going over to Afghanistan and documenting it for them. Really? Yeah. So I was like, okay. on it. <coughs> um, that, I'll get more into it offline with you, but it was a pretty cool experience. You might see that I collaborate with Ironclad on a lot of different projects. In fact, I have worked with them on my book trailers, this podcast, as well as a few other exciting endeavors that are currently in development. Ironclad teams up with some of the biggest brands in the world to create dynamic films, series, podcasts, and ad campaigns. If you are a brand or individual looking to elevate your content or start a podcast, don't hesitate to reach out through their website. This is Ironclad. Com, and make sure you follow them on all major platforms at This Is Ironclad. Day one in country, flying commercially into Kabul and uh, get to the airport and my DOD ride didn't show up. They hooked me up with a taxi service because they asked if I wanted a convoy. But in my mind, you send a convoy out. That's at least 16 dudes at any time they leave the wire. If, you know, if they'd hit an IED or something had happened. That would have been on me, you know? Mm. So I said, no, 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 I can take a taxi. So, you know, they, they hooked me up with a credible uh, ride. Hmm. Got there, didn't see the guy. So like, I see some Afghan dude with, with uh, a cat card around his neck, you know, like a contractor. So I'm like, hey man, you, you know, can you help me out? I'm trying to get to Camp Phoenix. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. But let me take care of my clients first. So he brings me out to his van. It's in the parking lot. And I mean, it's out of a movie right now. All the con, this was the height of the contractors, like 2000, eight 2009 mm. in afghanistan and uh you know you go into the parking lot and it's like all the australian contractor all you know just like decked out and mm. weapon uh crew serve weapons on vehicles and i'm waiting by this guy's van and like i wish i had done a time lapse because it took him like an hour and yeah. it got to the point where i was the only person in the parking lot i'm standing by the van i'm like right. pull out my sat phone call the the uh lieutenant colonel yeah and I'm like, hey, man, so I'm landed. I should be there in a little bit. You know, I don't know what's going on, but I'm sure I'm fine because there's security here. Mm -hmm. We're in Kabul International. So uh, I'll let you know when I get close to the base. And he's like, sure. So the guy finally comes back. He's like, okay, we need to make a couple stops first. So I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> Let's go. 
we open up the the van looks nice on the outside but i opened up the door and the entire interior was just swiss cheese from bullets Mm. just swiss cheese so i'm like this is gonna be fun so i put on my plate carrier put it put like a shirt on over my plate carrier and uh we're driving all through Kabul while he runs his errands. Finally, we get to the base and he goes, I cannot get to any closer. So I'm like, I guess I'm walking. So I grab my duffel bag in my backpack. I got my plate carrier on underneath a shirt and I walk up and the guards are like, everyone's like, yeah. stand back, stand back, stand yeah. back. And I'm like, yo, American, I'm here for so-and-so. And they're like, what? So confused. Yeah. So they're like, uh, wait right here. I'm like, guys, you think I can come in behind the Hescos? And they were like, okay. So they like let me into this holding area. The lieutenant colonel comes. We everything. I get all my credentials, all my badges, mm-hmm. and all that. And uh, that was supposed to be a thirty day trip. That ended up, I think, th- three months. Dang. I think I was there for. Yeah. Uh, I I got to look back at pictures. I was there a long time. Yeah. I was there. I was there way longer than I was supposed to have uh-huh. been. But it, it turned out to be really awesome. Got a lot of assets uh, um, thrown my way to, to do some really cool photography. Nice. And got to, I literally saw the entire country. I got to drive from Kabul to Herat. I got to work in RC North, RC South. Oh, dang. Most of the time I ended up focusing down in RC East in the coast province. But it was really fascinating. Um, it's, it's that mission there heartbreaking what happened with it i mean every single woman and child in that country they had a chance of hope for a second and it's gone and it's gone and it will never never ever ever for generations will never ever get fixed what uh happened to those pictures were they were they all for that uh national guard unit or they uh they got they did you do something else with them or was it only for them so the intention was was to do some stuff but man after that trip a lot of sadly uh, you know a lot of guys died that were in those pictures um i never did anything with them they went to uh the pao offices they used them for whatever they wanted um stars and stripes used them for some Mm -hmm. stuff but doing my initial concept of the art projects that I'd wanted to do mm-hmm. with all those pictures in the book. I just, no mm-hmm. interest anymore. Um, I, uh, it, there, there's a lot of history there and I look forward to looking at them again one day soon, but yeah. it, it's, it was an incredible time in my life and I'm so glad I did it. It changed mm-hmm. my view of the military, mm-hmm. made me really want to join the military. Um, I actually ended up coming back and starting that whole 18 X-ray process. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess I didn't realize yeah. that. Well, before I ask you about that, uh, what was your return trip like? Uh, How did you get to the? Did you have to go back to the regular airport and fly out of there? So I flew out of Kabul. Um, flew out of Kabul and flew to New York. Got on a G5 with a bunch of supermodels to fly to Uruguay for New Year's Eve. What? It, when I tell you, we were at like 42,000 feet over the Amazon and there was an electrical fire on that airplane. And I'm just sitting there laughing. Like I just made it through three months in Afghanistan and mm-hmm. I'm about to die with these fucking schmucks. Mm. Like, like, I don't mind death. I just want to die doing something awesome. I want to, you know, I, I don't want to die in a private jet with a bunch of models. That's not how I want to go. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, what was the uh, allure of going down to uh, what you said, Uruguay? Yeah, a buddy of mine uh, had a house down there, so I had pre-planned to go spend some time down there mm-hmm. after Afghanistan before going anywhere else, just because you know I didn't have a freelance photographer mm-hmm. could do anything I wanted, so. Uh, it was a nice free place to go live on the beach in a beautiful multi-million dollar mansion. Is he already down there? Or is he on the plane with you guys? He was he, on the plane. He's on us. the plane with you guys, man. And are these uh, uh, supermodels getting paid to be no, there? No, there's no, one they're, they're just all friends. They were all just friends of the guys, friends of mine. Um, just the same, the same way, if like you know. Person X is like, hey, Jack, why don't you grab some of your buddies from the teams and I'm going to take you all hunting for the weekend? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's the same exact, same exact thing. It's if know, my buddies from the teams were Victoria's Secret supermodels. Y- yes, but <laughs> like, you know, listen, if I was a billionaire, I'd be like, hey, Jack, let's grab, you know, 10 of the dudes that you used to work with. Like, I want to go drink whiskey, kill animals, and, and hear some good war stories, you know. Everybody has something that interests them and they spend their money on what interests them. So some guys want to hang out with hot girls and party and drink whiskey and smoke cigars. Um, some dudes, you know, want to go out into the mountains and do a hundred thousand dollar two day hunting trip <laughs> and everything in between. Yeah, man. That's why. So you go down there. How's your, how's your decompression down there from Afghanistan? Coming from the world of New York City where everything is bullshit, right? Mm. Going into a world where everything matters, every detail matters. Mm. You falling asleep in a car when you're driving on a convoy could get everybody killed, right? Just because you're not watching, you don't see that guy with a radio. Even though I'm a non-combatant, I'm still in that vehicle with people. There's still a responsibility to be part of a team. Mm. There's still a responsibility to carry combo equipment up the side of a mountain to help lighten other people's loads so they can bring more ammo. Um, but you know, it's, it, it opened my eyes to what the world really is and what it needs to be and Mm -hmm. who I needed to be as a person. And, you know, I I wasn't a bad person when I worked in nightlife, but I, I definitely now after that experience and every day after have always personally strived to be a better person Mm -hmm. and to be a more of an asset. Uh, to my community, to the people around me, however I can be, because of these dudes that I met over there and I saw what a real man should be, what a real person needs to be like. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that was really eye-opening. And you get back and you see this world and it's all bullshit. It wasn't interesting at all Mm -hmm. to me to be part of it. And that was probably like the last party trip I ever went on. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't make small talk with people. Like I'll sit around and bullshit with you all night, but there was just something that felt so toxic to mm-hmm. me that I didn't want it radiating into me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And growing up in New York City, uh, where were you on 9-11? And then uh, did you know, do you have friends whose uh, uh, parents were, were there? Yeah, uh, I was on 47th between 9th and 10th. Mm-hmm. I was sleeping in my bed. I'd been out till about five o'clock in the morning. And uh, I remember the last time I saw those towers, so... It's uh, really, I, I woke up, uh, my roommate woke me up at the time and, and told me that they were no longer there. And then uh, went down to try and help some friends that were uh, not from New York and 
And then from there, just kind of tried to do whatever I could to help, whether dropping off cases of water at checkpoints and stuff. Mm -hmm. I had a little scooter so I could load up cases of water on mm -hmm. the footboards. And I mean, anything I could do. It was, uh, it was a surreal. It feels like a dream. You know, now you go down there and you see it and it, it's hard to remember what the towers looked like actually standing there. Yeah. Did you know uh, police officers, firefighters that were involved in the first responders involved in the rescue and no, recovery? I was too young at the time. Yeah. yeah so I, I, on the recovery, you know, later on I ha made you, friends yeah. that were on the recovery that have had to medically retire due to lung issues. Right. From that, uh, from the recovery efforts and yeah. stuff like that, and uh, I have a bunch of friends down at the Port Authority, and mm -hmm. you know they were all there working, but I didn't know them till a decade later. Yeah, so I did a book signing in New Jersey. Uh, finished up the tour in June for this last book, Only the Dead, and man, it was in a little independent bookstore over there. And I think every other person, if not more than every other person, because I'm sure there was a few that were uh, uh, right after the other, were all police officers. It was police officers, it was firefighters, a couple of Secret Service guys, DEA. It was, there were so many police officers in, uh, in that area. And, uh, of course, New York, I think it has the biggest, is it the biggest police force in the Largest country? private army in the world. Nice. I think, uh, sorry, hang on one second. That, that, that was turned off. I don't know how that happened. Oh, doggy. Sits. Oh, oh good dog. Offlegging. Um, yeah, I think I think their numbers are somewhere in like, or at their height. I think their numbers were like at like a hundred and twenty or one hundred and thirty thousand yeah. officers. Yeah, uh, just an exemplary. Ex yeah. exemplary. Exemplary. See, yeah. it's good to hang out with writers. Nah. Try and use big. But it was cool. I mean, it was awesome. I had so many, so many coins, so many patches. Um, really cool, and it was, it was awesome because they all had a look. Mm -hmm. And so as they're walking up, I'm like, "Let me guess what you do." Uh, and uh, and yeah, they were, I mean, just just awesome. But so many in that area, it was noticeable. And all my book signings, I have military and law enforcement, and firefighters, and all. But in New Jersey, where I did this one, it was it was different. It were there were so many more at this particular event. It was noticeable to me so um, does that feel great though no, it's cool. it's when cool. the first response i mean it's great for all fans and like even mm -hmm. for the show and stuff like i'm grateful for every single one of them that mm -hmm. takes 45 minutes of their day to watch an episode mm -hmm. um but when it's the first responders when it's the you know the guys that are out there laying it on the line in defense of this nation domestically or abroad mm -hmm. you know like that for me that 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 tickles me man i love that yeah you're getting these guys coming through that have been in, doing it for 30 years and i always want to spend more time with them like what, what do you do like what, you did some undercover stuff you did some swat stuff you did this or that um so i always want to talk to them for so i try to get as much out of it as i can you know while i'm talking to them as we're uh shaking hands saying hello exchanging coins signing the book um so i'm trying to soak as much in as i can from those guys because it's just uh it's an honor for me that they would take time out of their day to come through a lot of times they bring their children and and that's really really cool as I well that you do that it's so rad and uh, you know five minutes of your time with these guys changes everything it's oh, it's so cool to be able to actually meet yeah. somebody that writes a book that you love makes a movie that you love i mean even me i geek out on it hanging out with you and i've known oh, you man i've known you from before <laughs> the first book yep that's true that's very true did you ever get a chance to meet bernard carrick yeah oh yeah greatest yeah. Were you, were you, weren't we at dinner together at shot did we go to dinner i think you were there did you have something else going on 
I think, no, yeah, uh, 20, geez, 18, yeah. 19. At Wolfgang Puck's, Somewhere. Right? Uh, where was it on that ground level between, um, the between uh, Palazzo and Venetian? Yep, at the yeah, steakhouse. Yeah, yep, it. that was at Wolfgang Puck's. Yeah, so we get to hang out there. We we talk on um, text and email. And, he's the and that sort of thing. He's got so. great stories. I love his, he's got a look. He's got that look. That look I was talking about, that's what they. That's what a lot of these guys have. They have that, that look, and they've seen a lot. I mean, he was a cop. You know, he was a cop for years before mm-hmm. becoming PC. And then, uh, you know. I love when he posts the old pictures of him, like, riding on, like, some sort of a, a step or a slider or whatever uh, on some, you know, not even a Suburban, but something just back in the day, like, holding some sort of, like, an Uzi in 1982 or something, you know. And he's just, it's just, those are some crazy photos from back in the day. All the organized crime cases yeah, yeah. that, like, he was escorting them Protect, to the courthouses. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> So cool. Yeah. I love him. That's back. Yeah. That's, that's back when it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> he's still hard though. He's got, no, be not his, him. It, the job, you know, you always job. say back in the day, you know, now, nowadays it's its own different kettle of fish. Oh, I'm sure it's bad. a, yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, I'm glad I'm watching it from the outside. Um, looking in, mm-hmm. having been in for the years that I was and just, I can only imagine the politics that you are going to be exposed to, uh, regardless of how you try to ignore it or not. I mean, you're, there's so many inputs. There's just, there's no ignoring it. And as a leader trying to keep the guys focused and on mission and, and all that must be, uh, it's a different set of, uh, things that you need to deal with. And that's just, you know, that's just how it goes. But, um, so you come back from that and then you start up the x-ray program. So that's baby SF, mm-hmm. um, which means that you can go from the, from, from the street to SF without going to the army for four five, six, seven, eight years yeah. or whatever it might take to get uh, into selection. So what was, uh, what was that process? That was, uh, that was probably the moment in my life. I realized who I was and what I was. Um, How old are you? Must've been 29 at the time. Okay. Still physically fit, you know, uh, my buddy Jeff Provenzano, uh, the skydive Red Bull yeah, Air Force guy, it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to get you all free fall, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Took me out, got me jumping physically and like mentally on all that. I think I would have been fine, but I, I really forced me to dive deep into my personality. And, uh, I honestly didn't think that I would make it as mm. uh, personality wise. I, I felt like getting peered out was going to be a massive issue. Mm. Um, there's, I have a lot of good qualities, I think, as a person, but there's, there's also a lot that I'm constantly working on trying to be better at. And especially at that time, I'd never worked in team environments. Mm-hmm. Always been by myself. And you don't know what you don't know. And I guess as time progressed, I'm glad I didn't make that decision because I realized as much as I wanted to be a good person, I was still a shitty person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I ended up canking that at the ninth hour. Or at the eleventh hour, I guess how far did you get down the like, all, all the paperwork, like yeah. through the paperwork side of it? Met with the unit, all that kind of stuff, um, and you know I've regretted it every day since because yeah. I'll never know if I was able to do it or not. Did you have to get a waiver for your age? I thought for some reason I thought like twenty eight was the uh, that was all squared away. Yeah. Um, uh, Caleb Cry actually took me up and introduced me to the guys that were the head of the unit. Okay, and uh, how'd you know Caleb? I met Caleb in 2008 through uh, a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Hines. Have you ever met Chris Hines? Uh, I've heard the name, but I... Mr. Ketchup? Yeah. He's great. Uh, he had owned Diamondback Tactical back in the day, and uh, I had met him randomly through Diane Kruger, the actress, huh. in New York City. And 
And then me and Chris just became friends because we were two guys in New York City that loved guns and loved yeah. all this kind of stuff. And then he introduced me to Caleb and dumped me in Caleb's lap and said, Caleb, he's your responsibility now. Um, so Caleb kind of came in and adopted me and kind of was like my mentor and uh, just best friend in the world. And a uh, great person to learn from just because he is, you've spent some time with him. Yeah. Greatest, kindest, so most nice. generous, yeah. uh, intelligent, creative human being I've ever met. So. Yeah. Um, I, I had a kid so that I could make him a godfather. Um, so he's, uh, so Caleb introduced me to those guys, got me okay. all set up and, and things were going along and, and time came to sign and I did some thinking, spoke to some of my buddies, uh, down at the unit, uh, in Bragg. And they also kind of were like, Hey man, like they pointed out some things about my personality as well, which it, it's hard to mm. hear, but they weren't doing it to be mean. They were just, they done the they'd done it mm -hmm. they've experienced it and they knew where my deficiencies were so um so i didn't do it and i got to live the rest of my life wondering and regretting oh man you can't do that yeah you make choices for for a reason and uh, it's all part of our foundation to build on as we move forward you know that's yeah. just kind of how it how it goes um but uh man what do you do from there so when you decide not to do it are you like oh what am I going to do next? Or did you have some backups? No, I didn't know what I was going to do next. I knew I didn't want to go back to combat photography. Yeah. Um, I really, you know, being on the sidelines and witnessing it all, I really deep down knew I wanted to try and be part of the solution. Um, so ended up going to Indiana and I interviewed with uh, four different police departments, got hired by three of them, and then ended up uh, working part-time for the Daleville Police Department, where I still currently am. And, uh, that was, uh, that was great. It gave me the purpose. It gave me the community. It gave me the feeling of being part of a team, mm. uh, and being able to feel like maybe I can make a difference somehow. Yeah. So that was really fun. Did you have to go to like a police academy type thing or? So Indiana is interesting. Indiana, there are no police academies. There is a police academy that you have to go to 365, 364 days after your first paycheck. Okay. So, At some point during that yeah, time frame. Yeah, yeah. So I never ended up going through that, which was fine. Uh, I'd say, I'd say 70% of law enforcement in Indiana has not gone through their ILEA. How, what do you, how Off. do you know what to, uh, and for those, so for those, uh, listening, not watching, there's a, Off. uh, Belgian Malinois here. So if, uh, Justin breaks into German, that's who he's talking to. <laughs> That's the only way uh, Jack Carr will take orders. Is it, exactly. Exactly. And I see we have the badge right there. Yeah. So is that from Indiana? Yeah. So so now she's our demo dog. You know, we'll go in there and mm. do stuff. For, I can't do any law enforcement anymore. There's uh, the answer to your question to start. So everything is done through a 40-hour pre-basic. And then there's on-job training. So in the end of the day, the liability is still there. Whether you're part-time, whether you're reserve, or whether you're full-time, mm -hmm. You know, it's on you to get the training, um, but the liability is there. So you can't mess up. Mm -hmm. So it's about what you take uh, on your own time. So there, the problem with, as much as I want to go to the academy, the problem is, is there's limited slots that we get for it. So do I take a dude now at this point? At this yeah, point? at this point. Oh, hi, doggy. Hi, doggy. Oh, oh, you get some love. Oh. Pepper. <laughs> right here, go to your place. It's good pepper. Good girl. Off. Good so, you know, at this point, you're on camera, kid. Sits. <laughs> you never know who's watching, Pepper. 
you just lost your job on the next term. Oh list. man, we'll have to replace this with the justified tree jump. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's seven years into it, you know, I'm at, on the show now and there's, you know, we can't like, how can I, I, yeah, I do yeah. nothing but PR and, and, and public, public yeah. relations and school resource stuff. You know, I'll handle acquisitions for the yeah. department and stuff, setting up the patrol rifle program, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But it's all, I'm not pushing a car. I'm not making arrests. There's no, there's no juice for that squeeze, man. I put yeah. handcuffs on someone too tight and they're like, that's a dude on TV. Let's <laughs> sue him. So, you know, I'm, I'm nothing more than, than a, I, I maintain all my state mandated training, uh, mandated training, uh, my pistol quals, all that stuff. Uh, turned in my rifles and all my cool gear. But, you know, it's, I wasn't getting to use it anyway because I'm in California. Yeah. What, how long were you out there in Indiana? So, uh, God, it's been 13 years now. I mean, when you first went out there after the uh, x-ray. Yeah, that was, not to do that was 2009, 2010 time frame. And so you go out there and when you get into the dogs, does the dog thing start out there? So the dog thing started one night in Texas. Uh, ended up my roommate, who's a city handler, bought my original dog, Dita, and uh, was going to train her up and sell her and personal stuff he had to get rid of her. So he's trying to sell her to one of the cops in Texas. And I was like, no, I'll take her. So I took her um, and then approached my town board and everybody about developing a FEMA search and rescue program with the dog. Okay. So met with emergency management. Is this in Indiana? This is in Indiana. Okay. So everyone was down for it. You know, generally the dog is the expensive part of it. You, mm. you get grant money for all the training and all that. So everyone was on board. Uh, and then, I mean, it's a much longer story, but ultimately when it happened, the show ended up happening. And well, how do you get the training? Like, how do you know what you're doing with these, with these dogs? Me? There's guys that get out of the military that are awesome. So I, like I said, networks of people, right? So linking up with guys like John Devine, you know, nice. I never got to link up with Mike Ritland, but you know, like, you know, that yeah. was the plan, John Devine and, and, and Mike Ritland to, to help me with her, um, get down, you know, Ted Summers down in, in Torchlight in Oklahoma. So I had, I had a massive network of people that I had met through social media, through all that stuff, and was able to get a lot of the core training. Uh, her initial guy was actually really interesting. Uh, his name was Benito Olson. Uh, he was, uh, you've probably seen pictures of him. He was a handler, uh, DS guy for Gold Squadron. Huh. Uh, I think his dog's name was Dago huge huge beast there's a picture that's loading on the uh, the interweb with like a small guy with an mp7 and a massive dog okay that's him okay so, so um i'd met him and he took her down and got her started on human remains and all that kind of stuff so it was just a network and a great community of people that wanted to help uh yeah. the town board was on board with it uh then there were some liability issues so it kind of got set aside then the show happened and then all of a sudden we have the best community asset in the world we've got the dog from seal team so uh, -huh. uh which was really cool because you know I, I never really felt like i was doing much within the community i was doing a lot for the police department yeah. and for the guys but i never really felt like i was engaged with the community and then the mm. show happened and all of a sudden you know we could hold a community event and not only have everybody from our community there, but hundreds of people from around. Yeah. And it was just that ability to 
intergrade kids with law enforcement yeah. and, like, and, and show them that cops aren't going to come arrest them because they don't listen to their parents, right? Mm. You know, if you don't do that, I'm going to call the police. They're mm. going to arrest you. <laughs> you know, that's not the case. Like any, anytime you can create a positive experience between law enforcement and a kid, yeah. like not only are you creating a great asset for your community because, you know, they will come talk to you when there's mm. issues. If they feel like they can approach you, you'll know you'll have the pulse on what's going on. But hell, maybe one of those kids becomes a copper when they grow yeah. up and, and helps, you know, keep their community better. Yeah. So there's, there's a chunk of time in there though, between Indiana and the show. And are you at, when do you go to over to cry or what are you doing with cry? So that was, that was cool. I kind of worked personally for Caleb for the first, I'd say three or four years, um, doing some different stuff and then ended up seeing a massive need on the law enforcement side and cops just didn't have the access to cry. Mm. Um, so, so kind of launched their law enforcement initiative for them. Okay. And then did that for a few years and, uh, then the show happened and. Cause I remember being at, at shot and we'd, you know, want to get the, got to get the tickets to the, uh, the cry party. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we'd go drop by the cry booth and, uh, you'd have the passes and, and hand them out. And I'm always like, what does this guy do? And then like, I'm like, what, what is he? My, my direct title for cry was director of low observable activities. That's awesome. That's <laughs> fantastic. So, you know, it was basically anything and everything, you know, it, it was a fun job. It was the yeah. best job in my entire life, you know? Yeah. You know, it, it's heartbreaking with, with Caleb no longer involved with cry. Oh, is that right? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, he still owns 51% of it. He's just not involved with it. Yeah. Um, you know, that man with his innovations and his love and passion for yeah. the community and his generosity for the community is just, it's inspiring. You know, it's, uh, it's who I want to be when I grow up, man. Every, yeah. And he's only like two years older than me, but multicam uh, genius, right? Yeah. Genius. Take on this holiday season with the help of Navy Federal Credit Union. When you use the Navy Federal Cash Rewards card, you can earn up to 1.75 cash back on all purchases. You can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. And using the Navy Federal mobile app makes redeeming easier than ever. Enjoy the rewards of cash back without any annual fee, balance transfer, or foreign transaction fees. There are no limitations on rewards, and they never expire while your account is open. Learn how you can get cheer to last all year with the Cash Rewards card at NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, rates are variable and range between 14.90% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Let me tell you about First Form. They have amazing products. My personal favorites are the Protein Sticks and the Micro Factor Daily Nutrient Packs. And why do I like them so much? Because First Form makes it super easy to get quality protein and nutrients on the go. And I always seem to be on the go. While their products are top-notch quality, what I like the most about them are their values. First Form is so much more than a supplement company. They are deeply committed to both American jobs and your personal well-being. At First Form, they value people. In fact, the only thing they've automated is a tape machine, a symbol of their dedication to providing jobs and making lives better. 
They care about employing people, nurturing their growth, and genuinely improving lives. Their mission is simple. First Form is there to help you reach your fitness and wellness goals. They believe in a partnership where, if you meet them halfway, they'll help you make progress. Go to firstform.com slash jackcar to receive free shipping on any orders over $75. That's one, the number one, S-T-P-H-O-R-M.com slash jackcar. Once again, that's one, the number one, S-T-P-H-O-R-M.com slash jackcar and receive free shipping on any orders over $75. You've heard the story of how Multicam got adopted, right? No. Oh, so the army spent millions of dollars on uh, on, on the digicams, AC, ACU stuff. Yeah. Do you own any ACU? No. Neither do I. Anyway, so they spent millions of dollars on this program. The Marine Corps spent like fifty thousand or something. I have some of the Marine stuff. Right, the Marine Digicamming. Mm-hmm. So they spent nothing on making theirs, uh, and the army spent all this money, and then. Everyone's getting hurt in Iraq and Afghanistan because the camouflage is not really camouflage. It blends in with grandma's curtains or grandma's sofa. I'm sure you've seen those pictures online of the soldiers next to grandma's curtains. Uh, I have. Yeah, it's a genius. Anyway, so uh, so the Army's fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. It was so brutal. Like, I don't know how much they spent on it, but I remember when it came out and you're like, the old ones were just better. Oh, yeah. Like, you could just modify some, some old ones. You spent how much on these things that... Okay, I mean, and then there's the zipper, right? And the whole, like... I, it's crazy. It just didn't make sense. Yeah. So, so the... Oh, but guess what, military-industrial complex? I bet somebody made some money. I bet you're right. <laughs> um, so, so there was, like, one of the, one of, like, the high-ranking officers that was in charge of the ACU program <laughs> or knew directly someone in charge with it went out with some special operations unit who were all in multicam because they could buy He went it. out, like, actually... Yeah. Out, out, like in the field? Yeah, he was out, out in the field with them, mm. and they got contact, and he was the only one getting rounds thrown at. Mm. And then after that, it went into everyone in Afghanistan getting the OCP. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, I think they called it OCP, but it was multicam. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, and then from there on, you know, then the Army kind of took multicam and flipped it sideways and said, now we own it. Oh, is that right? Dude, it's, I'll tell you all about it offline. That's oh, that's not, wh- it's not a public story, but oh, it's, wow. it's wild. Um, it's wild, and it's scary, and it's mm. sad. Power of the federal government? Boom. Mm. If only our founding fathers could see it. Interesting. And we just got both labeled as domestic terrorists. <laughs> and there we go. And, <laughs> and we canceled. There we go. Canceled. <laughs> um, that's how it goes these days. So, Oh, Man, brutal. So what's uh? So while you're doing the stuff with Cry, are you also doing stuff in Indiana? Are you doing? Uh, you always have a lot of things going on. Yeah, yeah. You always have have things. I'm always like, he's doing what? Yeah. You know? My main business at the time was coconut water. Actually, see, this is what yeah. I'm talking about. What's uh at the t- back then? Yeah. So I had bought a large stake of this company called Vitacoco back in I'd say 2004. Okay. So I was really involved with uh, the promotional marketing side of that and kind of launching that and getting that all around uh, and had a tequila company at the time, too. See, this is you what gotta, I'm talking about. Stay busy, man. <laughs> what, what was the tequila company? It's called Tanteo. Is it still out there? Uh, we, when's this airing? Uh, I don't know. Whenever, whenever you want it to air. Uh, it's still out there, yes. Okay. Um, and uh, it was cool because it was the first 
you know, Mexico had made it, they, they take their tequila very seriously. Mm. In order for it to be called tequila, it's got to be in Guadalajara, to, you know, tequila, Mexico. So the rules are you were never allowed to infuse tequila. Uh, my business partner at the time, the founder, was able to petition and get the Mexican government to mm. actually allow us to infuse tequila. So if you've ever had a spicy margarita, we were literally the first company ever to have infused margaritas so we did really? like a spicy one we did a jalapeno infusion we did a cacao and we did a tropical and now the flavors have evolved to you know blancos and uh, chipotle and stuff like nice. that but it's a cool cool little concept a great product yeah what uh what are we talking about as far as quality goes here is this you're gonna sip this on ice or are you uh shooting this stuff uh and holding your like is it are you gonna breathe fire what are we talking about here Personally speaking, I think they're great for mixed cocktails. Okay, but if we're if we're sipping, you know, tequila on ice, we're we're doing a nice extra okay. nejo. Okay, you know, gotcha. Some, something north of one fifty. Hey, it's, it's good to have the spectrum. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It is good to have the spectrum. I got some. Uh, I don't know if they actually sell it or if it was an experiment. Um, uh, Alpine uh, Distillery down here, just down the road. You passed it on the way the way in. Actually, um, they, uh, uh, they they propped. Um, God, what did they drop in there? Some sort of a pepper like a ghost pepper or something maybe not ghost pepper something hot into a, a whiskey um but the label looked like just a regular the regular label of the actual whiskey that usually doesn't have that in there and i remember drinking some of that and uh it was hot like it was different yeah i liked it yeah, but, but i didn't know yeah i got some inside i think we still have a little left or it might be gone i'm not positive i think i let it get like halfway down or a little more than halfway down and then i saved it because i didn't know if you could still get anymore so i think there's a little bit left but um but yeah, I like that when when uh, when companies are doing interesting things like that. You know, that's a cool thing to be involved with. I want to taste it. All right, we'll do it. Well, I'll go, I'll go in and look before you leave, and uh, and see if it's in there. But uh, man, so coconut water, tequila. What else you got going on? Fuck. Let's see. Real estate, cattle company. Uh, you know, I just yeah. Don't die bored, right? Don't die bored. You got a lot going on. You always do, and. Uh, I mean, what, oh, and who, actually, one of my most passionate ones. This is a gift for you. Oh, man. What we got? So I found this incredible knife maker. His name is Chris Stroop. Uh, oh, man. He was a direct support guy, combo guy over at Delta. And uh, he got out and started this company, uh, Stroop Knives. Nice. And I ended up meeting him and designing this knife with him, the Bravo 5. Nice. Ooh. That I wear on the show. Oh, that's what you wear on the show. Yeah. But it's a little bit different and a little bit more special. Oh, dude. That's awesome. Look at that. So, I don't know which camera is on here, but cross tomahawks so, right there. Thank you, guys. Now, if you look on the spine, we that made it a little awesome. bit special for oh, you. Nice. Oh, man. That's really cool. You I do great stuff that. for the world, Jack Carr. And, Thanks, brother. You know. Man, that's really special. Thank you. So I ended up buying a piece of his company. Uh, the thing that I really loved about him, other than the knives, I, they've got that kind of level of rawness to them yeah. that I love, but there's a very fine craftsmanship to it. But it's almost entirely veteran run. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he found that knife making has been great therapy, not only for himself, but the veterans that he oh, employs. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up jumping in with him on that. I... Uh, I'm a huge fan of what he does, and that's my new passion project. Nice. Um, so, yeah, we did the yeah. Bravo 5 for charity. Um, por uh, proceeds of that go to the boot campaign. Nice. There's a shirt right there. You matter. You matter. I was going to ask you about that, too. Boot campaign. 
They do such great stuff. Such great stuff. Yeah. The impact they have. And yeah. you know, the thing, great people, it's great people, phenomenal people, but you know, it's always interesting to meet these people at events, but then the things that really touch home for me is, uh, when guys reach out to you, like friends mm -hmm. that like, Oh dude, you know, those guys, they did mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's, it just makes it so intimate. And, yeah. and I really love that. And it's a great organization. So yeah, no big time boot campaign. Is it .org or .com? I, either way, type in boot campaign and it'll, it'll pop right up. I think it's .org, but uh, yeah, absolutely. People listening and watching. So how does that feel that in your hand? Feels great. That's why I can't put it down. That's awesome, man. Gee, and where, where are they out of? Uh, Fayetteville. Nice. Vietnam. I love it. <laughs> that is sick. Thank you. Yes. That means a lot. I appreciate that, man. But, uh, all right. So tequila, we got, uh, we got some co coconut water. We got all these things going on. How does the intro to, is it, is SEAL team the, the entry point into Hollywood? Hollywood? Well, I did a Coca-Cola commercial like tw 20 years ago. <laughs> really? Like Can you find it on YouTube? I looked for it. I couldn't. No, no, it wasn't Coca-Cola. Sorry. It's a Motorola phone commercial. Okay. <laughs> How'd you mix those two up? Uh, same difference to me. I don't use a Motorola <laughs> and I don't drink Coca-Cola. If I want caffeine, I drink black rifle coffee. There you go. Nice. It's healthier than that's, soda that's and it gives you 300 right milligrams there. of caffeine. That'll do it for you right veteran there. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated right. and an awesome company. There it is. There it is. Man. So what's, uh, so other than your Motorola commercial, what, uh, what did was it the it was SEAL Team the first? Because I think I know a little bit. So let me t see if I have this close. Uh, in that, so so uh, Mark Owen is pitching SEAL Team and getting this thing kind of up and running, and he's new to Hollywood too, and and doing all that. And CBS, uh, I think they're looking maybe for a military show, or maybe they weren't looking and became interested. I forget. But now you got this show. Things start the things start to turn and now they bring in some writers for a pilot episode and then we get a location and then does something happen where there's not any uniforms or the gear is wrong or something like this and everybody is already down there or, or so, how, how does this, how does this go? Is so, that close? Very close. All so, right. uh, Mark Owen, you know, wrote mm -hmm. no easy day in that book, uh, for yep. a couple of years was trying to get some traction, ended up almost getting made for a certain thing. Didn't, CBS ended up taking it and uh, they were shooting the, they're about to start shooting the pilot and like two weeks before they need a dog for fast roping on a helicopter. So both Mark Owen and Tyler Gray were like, Oh, called Justin Melnick. He's got a dog and they can definitely fast rope out of a helicopter and you know, da, 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 da. So two days before I'm supposed to go down there, Tyler calls me and he's like, dude, the gear is fucked. Sorry. Do you need to beep that out? Nope. The gear is fucked. Can you get all your gear from New York and ship it down? So I'm like, yeah. So I, because uh, you're still tight, cry, yeah, Caleb. Yeah, the yeah whole I still, I still had all the stuff from like all the photography, mm. you know, consulting ah, stuff okay. I was doing from all the companies. Yeah, you know. So, um, so I literally just I was like, will you pay for my plane ticket to get to New York? He's like, no, we can't, but like, we'll figure <laughs> it out. So I'm like. CBS, come on. That's what I'm, I'm like, do you ah, need, Ty, you really need it? He's like, trust me. Yeah. Just do this. Right. And Tyler is like my big brother. Oh. If Tyler says jump, I don't ask. I just jump. Oh, he's, he's awesome. He's coming on in a couple weeks. 
Really? Yeah. You should make fun of him. Oh, find somebody to make fun. Give him a I'll hard ask, time. I'll ask. Uh, I'll, I'll see if the story differs. He's he's such a flawless human being that yeah. like you got to find somebody to make fun of him for. I don't know. Pick something. The way he walks or something that he doesn't I don't know, have fun with him. He's he's phenomenal. But yeah. uh, he uh, he was like, trust me. So I was, cool. So I book a, a ticket to New York City. Leave my dog at my brother's house with a bag of food. And where are you? Are you where are you now? At the time I got the phone call, I was actually in Truckee. Oh, up north. What were you doing snow. up there? I was working on Dita with searching in the snow okay. and all that at the at the elevation. Nice. Uh, so I called uh, my brother. I was like, can I leave Dita with you for a day? Yeah. So I drive to Los Angeles, leave Dita with him for the day. That's not a short drive for anybody wandering from Truckee to L.A. No, then, then this is before I knew all the cops in California. Uh, I had my department-issued gun on me, and I didn't want to check it because flying out of New York City with checking it just takes two hours mm. to because to, they have to do a police report mm. and all that stuff when you fly back out. Mm. So um, so I, I drive then to another city in California about an hour north to go drop off my gun at his department and lock it up in their, in their vault, mm. go to the airport, jump on a plane, land in New York at like 2.20 p.m., pack up six husky boxes full of gear mm -hmm. he emails me the labels ups picks them up overnight at 6 p.m go out for dinner with caleb and then jump on like the 5 40 a.m flight out of new york back to la get my dog get my gun and then start driving to new orleans wow so that's what they're, they're filming the pilot for anybody listening so here's the problem though as i'm driving to new orleans i recall the border patrol checkpoints along the uh the road and yeah. Dita at that point had been re-imprinted from human remains to narcotics so i didn't have live odor with me but what i had was cotton balls so like what we do so we can travel and still train our dogs is we'll saturate odor in cotton balls i'll saturate them in meth cocaine uh, used to be marijuana uh and heroin and ecstasy then uh -huh. they'll all be in their own separate containers and they're just called baked so there's no actual drugs, but the odor is there for searching. They're called baked or baked? Yeah, baked. Like you bake. Okay. You leave it in there with the actual narcotics, mm. uh, all all DEA, you know, provided mm. so you know that it's clean with no fentanyl, things like that. Mm. Um, but you can still train your dog. So as I'm driving, I remember about that checkpoint that I'd driven through two years prior. And I'm like, fuck. So I call a buddy of mine at Border Patrol. I'm like, hey, am I going to have any issue? And he goes, yeah, don't go. They'll tear your whole car apart. Oh, really? So I'm like, don't you have a badge? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you know how many dirty cops and, and, and military guys have been caught trying to smuggle stuff? Uh, so um, so I like go the long way, go all the way north and cut all the way down, finally get to New Orleans. Uh, the boxes are all there. We unload it. We're in the, you know, the office. Originally, Sonny was supposed to be the dog handler. And uh, the showrunner okay. at the time, Ed, changed my life. He was like, day one on set, he's like, nah. Yeah, you're going to be the dog handler. I'm like, sir, are you sure? He goes, yeah, you, you look like a movie star and you know how to use a gun. Just just you do it. I'm like, don't I need to know how to act? He's like, all right, you'll figure it out. That's you know? awesome. And he was, were you, uh, when you on that long drive, were you in the Forerunner? Yeah, nice. I was in the Forerunner at okay. the time. Nice. And, uh, and uh, yeah, by the end of the pilot episode, my character got a name on the final revision. And nice. then the show got picked up and... And they called me and invited me to move to California. 
That is awesome. And the, that pilot, I think, had a significant budget to it. Um, uh, they want to kick it off big, and then if it hits, okay, now you get your actual per episode yeah. budget, I guess, or something like that. But uh, so they needed that thing. Like if the weapons weren't right and those uniforms weren't right and the dog wasn't right or they couldn't do something, like that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, especially for a show that has all these veterans working on it that are putting their names on it essentially and need things to, to, to look right for that person who is in law enforcement or in the military to watch the show and say, ah, oh, look at these guys put the effort in. You know, that's pretty cool. You know, 90% of the people that watch the show couldn't tell the difference if it was a Black Hawk plate carrier or, you know, but uh, some can. Exactly. But, you know, 20 years of war, think about the amount of people that have carried a gun in defense of this nation. It's like, a lot. Like, people know. And the authenticity matters. And, you know, it's there's no prop house that could do it th this show because mm. this stuff is not commercially available. The stuff, you know, mm. the plate carrier Jason Hayes was wearing for the last two years just got issued to NSW like seven months ago. Mm. You know, so like, they can't like they can't buy it. They can't even even if they wanted to buy it, they can't buy it mm. from the companies. But you know, 12, 15 years of personal relationships and a lot of blackmail, you can get what you need. <laughs> there you go, man. That's awesome. So you go out there and you think you're just gonna you think you're gonna just pass off like to help Sonny use the dog, but instead. They're like, now, Sonny, you're carrying the, the pig. And, and now, Justin, how do you feel about acting? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was really interesting to learn, uh, to watch, you know, seven years of, of, of college, basically, of acting school and production school and learning how to do it firsthand. Mm. Um, you learn how to make television. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're willing to put in the extra hours and sit there and watch and you know, for the first two years, I really just focused on watching the way the actors were doing things and mm. setting up. I don't really have much interest in writing because I can't. Mm. Uh, I can't even speak properly. I can't even speak good. Um, <laughs> but doing great. Doing great. Thanks, buddy. It's always hard when you're with a really <laughs> educated person. Oh, stop it. Oh, man. I, I look for my big words. I don't. <laughs> so, uh, but I really love the production aspect of it. Yeah. I really love seeing the words that the writers uh -huh. put on the page. And, and the idea of, of pleasing them, you know, and bringing their vision to reality yeah. and trying to do it for less money yeah. so that we can put that money into cooler stuff, you know, and, and like seeing how our producers do it and learning from them and mm -hmm. picking their brain. I mean, I, I probably spend a collective two to three hours a week annoying the fuck out of our producers, asking questions on how they do the schedule, okay. how they do this, why they do it this yeah. way. And, you know, they've been wonderful to me um, and, and learning from them just because it's so, it's fascinating to yeah. me. It's, Man. It's, it is. It's a, it's like a military operation. It's so interesting. That first time I walked on set and I was like, okay, Antoine's like the commanding officer. Uh, Chris is like the troop commander. Uh, they're setting that tone strategically and then tactically. And then I have, oh, my mobility person who's moving all the vehicles around just like in a platoon. And, oh, here's the breacher. Here's the explosives guy. If we have an explosion going off. And, oh, here's the armorer. And here's craft food services. Got to feed all these troops. And uh, so there's so many similarities between it and the military. But it is astounding that you get all these people to show up at the right time at the right place uh with the right gear bringing their a games to create what we see then as a seal team and uh it's so cool and like terminalist now yeah. i get to ask you a question yes sir. how did your cameo come around of you nah. 
Well, I was kind of hoping, you know, you're kind of like, eh, you know, you see things uh, in the past. You see uh, Hitchcock and things and you see uh, Tarantino and things and uh, you see Stan Lee and things. And, you know, every now and again, uh, I think um, Lee Child is in uh, the Jack Reacher stuff. So I, I was I always thought it might be a possibility. But you don't want to ask. You know, you don't want to be the guy that, that asks. Um, and so the, the showrunner uh, brought it up and I was like, that's good. But then we we're like trying to figure out what it should be. And I think there was this story, and I'm not sure. I got to ask if it's true. We'll, we'll go with it being true, of uh, Stephen Hunter being a gun store owner in uh, Point of Impact, which was his shooter starring Mark Wahlberg, directed by Antoine Fuqua. And uh, they cut his scene. The scene got cut. And so I knew in my head that you have to, if you have a cameo, you kind of have to like, okay, kind of agree to the one that would be very difficult to cut because it moves the story forward. And so that was the one where I get in the shootout with Chris Pratt. And uh, that part is a very pivotal moment in the series. And you really couldn't cut it because that's where Katie realizes, oh, this conspiracy, there's something to this conspiracy. Um, and so it, it, it moves the plot forward there. So I, I thought, okay, yeah, I'll do that. That'd be cool. So well, gotta as, play it cool, as a fan, when I saw it, I was like that DiCaprio meme. Where I'm like, <laughs> people did start putting that meme up there. People, so many people sent me that meme and uh, showed the picture of me and Chris in the shootout and then DiCaprio going, boom. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one of the things that I love so much about, you know, the fact that you have your face out there um, and that fans can recognize that. Like, I, you know, I, I love that. Cool. It, it is so cool. And it's, uh, I mean, it made my day to see you. Ah, there. Thank you. But, but <laughs> it was cool to It kind of concerned me that you died in a Land Cruiser, didn't you? No, Chris was in the Land Cruiser. I was in like the, uh, like a, a rental vehicle, like the Osmo Buick. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a Land Cruiser. Chris was driving the Land yeah. Cruiser. He backs in to me and they wouldn't let me do the stunt. Um, cause I'm not part of the stunt. Was there a stunt guild or is there, no, some, there's not, no, maybe I just didn't want me to do it. So I, uh, but after I saw it, like it, on, on, it looks like a fender bender. Yeah. And that's what I thought it was going to be. Okay. He, Chris puts it in, you know, reverse and crashes in a, the front part of my car. And then we have this shootout and I was like, I can do that. You know, no big deal. But then when I actually saw it, like it was pretty violent, <laughs> like it was a pretty violent. And what was so cool about it is that the guy who doubled me, Mick Rogers, a legendary Hollywood stunt man who's doubled Mel Gibson a bunch of different times to include jumping off the building and lethal weapon handcuffed to that business guy. That's Mick Rogers. And uh, so he doubled me. So I got to talk to him all about working with Mel Gibson and on lethal weapon and all. So it was for me, it was awesome to have him double me and get to spend some time with him on set. That was really, really cool. Now, when you were sealed though, you guys did vehicle interdiction mm -hmm. stuff. Oh, yeah. you team? I, I love that stuff. I remember going through a, a school down at the state department and one of the courses was out at Bill Scott Raceway. And, yeah, I went, uh, yeah, and BSR. We were, and they gave us a bunch of cars to crash. And yep. back and, that was my first one was BSR. It was cool, but I remember walking out of that being like, oh, mm. and I was probably 20. Yeah. 27. No, probably 32 at the time, yeah. 33. But I still felt sore. Oh, yeah. I felt good doing all those courses and doing all the ramming and all that stuff through barricades. All, all that was, it was awesome. Um, but this time, for whatever reason, I'm watching it in Video Village with the other producers, and you're watching it on your thing, and you get your headsets on, and you're listening. And, and it, was a, it was a hard hit, much harder than it looks in the, the show in episode three. Uh, but what was also cool is to get to see how they put bullet holes in glass. Um, I hadn't really thought about it before, I guess, but they have these little like straws, metal straws that are like mortar tubes mm -hmm. and they were all hidden just under the dash. And then they had these little explosive charges in the bottom, a little ball bearing. Yep. And they have a guy off to the side with uh, you know, an iPad or something, something like that. And he's 
hitting that button every time Chris shoots or I shoot out the glass or whatever. And it's sending those little mortar ball bearings into the glass that look like it's a bullet coming in. Oh, so yeah. that was, that was kind of cool to see that. And I had to wear my glasses. So I had my gaiters on just in case that, you know, like glass flies back in your, in your face or in your eyes. Um, so that was kind of cool. And then they put the squib in the headrest. So when Chris comes up, flanks me on the side and shoots me in the head, then I throw my head to the side and they hit the squib and it goes, all the blood all over the car, which was pretty sweet. Every time I think of special effects, guys, I think of Danny McBride's character in Tropic Thunder. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, but man, Boom. they are so talented so and good. their rhythm. So good. Like when you think about it, what that what you're describing is not safe. Like you couldn't have anyone just do that. Yeah. You know, you've got Jack Carr in a car with projectiles shooting up into a windshield with glass. Like, yeah. Um, but they do it in such a level of proficiency that it is safe. There's zero margin for error in that kind of stuff. I wasn't really thinking about that until you just mentioned it. I was just excited. I think think about <laughs> think about if you know if you decided to punch out and shoot in a different direction over the top and then tush. yeah yeah it, good so, point. So glad I didn't do that. You know it's it's there's there's a level of professionalism on our shows mm-hmm. and and that's why like you know you can talk about terminalists and maybe people get nicks and scratches or stuff like that but there's never any massive mm-hmm. injuries. Yeah, just a level of proficiency and, and oh, professionalism. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I was because I'm paying attention to uh, you know the armorer and and how that all works with weapon safety and and Chris knows what he's doing around firearms anyway as did most of the people that handled them in the show like they came from a background where they used them for real and now they're in Hollywood and they're they're acting so everybody is very cognizant of not covering so you don't have to like reshoot something because somebody covered Mm -hmm. somebody else with the muzzle or or whatever else but I was paying attention to how this goes down because I'm always a student I'm always a sponge always learning and you know, if Chris is taking direction from the director or the, you know, however that's, that's working or getting the, his makeup done, whatever, putting some blood on him, scratches, freshening it up. Then that armor is sitting there with the M4, with that block, with that SIG, whatever it is waiting mm-hmm. until everything is done. All that other stuff, there's no other distractions. And then it's boom, look Chris right in the eye, showing the pistol, showing the magazine, showing the rounds and saying, oh, this is this kind for this distance from mm-hmm. the other actor reminder, you know, like you don't have, can't point it at them just shoot this way or whatever it is because each one as you know all those different types of blanks have a different um uh distance that you can be from somebody else and and all that yeah all that so you'd explain that boom and then they'd load it and get it all ready and do what they they needed to do and then action go but there's nothing else going on it's not like Chris is also talking to the director or somebody else or whatever else and this guy is at the same time just putting a weapon into his holster or handing it to him as he's paying attention elsewhere. No, all that is, that is done. And then boom, armorer. Okay. Eye to eye contact. Boom, boom, boom. Got it. And, and that's with everybody that's handling the weapons. It was pretty cool to see that. Well, you guys, you know, you guys, I know your armor from that, from, from uh, terminalist, really professional, really great. Our armor on seal team. Phenomenal. There's no, there's no room for error on that. I mean, you look at what happens when you try and cheap out, on Unfortunately. on a, on a position like that, and sadly, people lose their lives. Kids don't have parents because of that kind of shit, mm-hmm. and there's no room for that. Making a fucking television show, a movie, there's no room for anyone to ever get hurt. You know, yeah. this is entertainment; it's not real life stuff. Yeah, um, it's it's cool, and it, and it also translates to the camera. Like you can watch Terminal List and get into those gunfights because it feels real, <laughs> because people yeah. that are top of their game are advising and mm. uh, facilitating yeah. and, and it's awesome. TV, TV needs to learn from these shows. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, they oftentimes more than not people 
cater to the 80% that don't know and don't care. And they, you know, they'll make a TV show. We don't want, we can use airsoft guns for this, mm. but you can tell on a TV show or a movie when they're using fake guns and it's all CGI mm-hmm. because the actors aren't in the scene with that firearm. They're yeah. not, they're not reacting to their gunfight as they would as if they're firing blanks. So it's going to be interesting to see how the whole uh, Hollywood industry goes with, you know, in, in terms of blank fire. Yeah. We have some great, we had Ray Mendoza out there doing the technical advising every single day out there. I had Ray uh, there on set. Uh, I had Jared Shaw there on set, former SEAL, Max Adams, former Army Ranger, who's a writer. And we're all, that team is together for this next uh, origin story series and for for True Believer. So we have such a great crew. But um, aside from that, there was this trust from Chris Pratt, Antoine Fuqua, and David Agilio, the showrunner, with those guys on set every day and so if Antoine or Chris or the showrunner asked hey is this authentic is somebody who spent time in Afghanistan or Iraq uh gonna watch this and roll their eyes or would anybody ever do this if the answer was no no one would ever do that or uh hey we need really need a mag change right here or attack reload right here and you have to show it then in editing it cannot be cut out so you need one of those guys in the editing room the entire time and uh that was Jared every single time because very easy Take out one cent, two couple seconds. That's the reload, yep. and then you have this guy with a uh, with a pistol that all of a sudden shoots a hundred rounds, yep. and uh, and they're like, Wait, well, that's because uh, four, five, six, whatever reloads got taken out because it just didn't fit, and the person in the that's doing that editing doesn't doesn't know. They're just looking at it visually and how they feel uh, because as as a viewer, not having any experience downrange or with actual firearms, so it's so important for us to have somebody in that editing room and on set every day that can say, nope, somebody's gonna roll their eyes at that or you know law enforcement guy is going to just go like and change the channel um so chris and antoine and, and dave Gilio, if uh if we needed to change something boom we're reshooting it or um uh we're not going to do something just because it sounded good in the writer's room and now here we are on set uh no we need to do something a little different here that's going to resonate with people who've been downrange have you tried the jack car hooten young warrior proof whiskey if not i highly recommend it if you don't know Hooten Young, check them out at hootenyoung.com. It was started by Norm Hooten and Tim Young and born of a love of whiskey and cigars. If Norm Hooten sounds familiar, it may be because you recognize the name from the film Black Hawk Down, where Delta Force operator Hoot was portrayed by Eric Bana. You might have caught two references to Hooten Young in the Terminal List Amazon Prime video series. It's the whiskey James Reese and Boozer are drinking in episode one. You can't fake aged whiskey. My Jack Carr Hooten Young collaboration is aged 16 years. It's 125 proof and bottled straight from the barrel. This Jack Carr Warrior Proof American whiskey turned out better than I could have possibly imagined. As Norm says, Hooten Young was created to help folks slow down, bond with the people around them, and remember those who are no longer here. Go to hootenyoung.com and get your hands on a bottle today. That's H O O T E N Y O U N G.com. You know, I'm really excited. I think Jared, Jared Shaw just did uh, The Linus, right? Yep, yep, he was out there. Have you had a chance to watch any of that yet? I did. I watched, what is it? I think today the third episode drops today when we're filming this, I think. So I watched the first first two, um, so I'm watching that. Oh, uh, you're such a newbie, man. You can't have streaming. So when yours came out, I watched. I went to the premiere, saw the first two episodes, and then I waited till all the episodes all dropped, and I sat there in bed 
watching Terminal List till my wife kicked me out of bed at about 4.35 in the morning. Nice. My iPhone was dead, so I was camped out on my kitchen floor with one of those four-foot Apple chargers. Oh, man. And my daughter's beanbag chair, and I completed the entire season in one night. Oh, man. That's how you got to do it. So you got to wait. You uh, got to wait till they're all dropped? Yeah, at least uh, at least, at yeah, least, maybe at least yeah. 50% of them. I might do that by default anyway because there's so much going on. But because Jared was in it and LaMonica Garrett was in it, like those are the two main reasons. I haven't that, met him uh, yet, but it. he seems awesome. Oh. Lamonic is amazing. Amazing. He, uh, he I wish that it, what happened to his character didn't happen to his character almost you in season re- one because now I want to do I'm not going to run spoiler alert. I'm just going to hint at it. I'm just going to hint at it. Um, but because we're doing a, hey, we're doing a prequel. So maybe, maybe we can get him. But he's he's got some amazing things going on right now. So I hope we can get him for a day or two. We'll he's, see. But Lamonic is amazing. What an amazing guy. An incredible actor. Just a good, solid dude. He seems like it. I mean, I, like I said, I've never met him, but but seeing his roles and and, and watching him from mm-hmm. 1883 onwards mm-hmm. with everything, it's really cool to to see the success story. Oh yeah, um, so great. And you don't get that success in Hollywood if you're not a good person, if you're mm-hmm. not talented, if you're not driven. There's so many people competing for your spot mm-hmm. that if you give them any reason not to hire you, they'll get someone else. Yeah. Yeah, um, so I'm sure awesome. he's wonderful. Yeah, we got to go to UFC together. So me, Chris, Antoine, we got Jocko came on up, and uh, and we all flew out. Digilio, uh, we all flew out to UFC together. So we had a great great time uh, together doing I saw that. Those pictures, yeah, now, it was awesome. Is Zuck and and uh, Musk going to do this with UFC? Are they going to roll? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I'd love to see. You that. never know. Like nothing surprises me anymore. I raise- shouldn't say nothing. Few things surprise me anymore. Like it could happen. They could raise so much money for good causes through that. It would be incredible. They have no reason not to other than one of their egos might get hurt. But you know what? Fuck it. Who cares? Raise that money. Help the world. Yeah. I mean, I see Zuckerberg training. Doesn't look bad. You know? Hey, if I had that much money, I wouldn't do anything but train eight hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. That, and gosh, well, who was that telling me this the other day? And I, So this is a secondhand story. And they talked about how a lot of people point to MySpace. And they're like, oh man, you know, MySpace, they kind of missed it. The guy sold, sold out early. And I, this is the general gist. So anybody that's listening to it, I'll be off on some of these details. Um, but they, and they said, hey, he sold out for, let's say, I'm going to pick a number, $30 million, $40 million. It could be more, it could be less, whatever, I don't know. But they said, now look at, and then look at Mark Zuckerberg and look at Facebook. And now you have one of the richest guys in the world, uh, untold billions, essentially. And then somebody who maybe could have stayed with it or whatever, or done something, but sold out at $30 million, let's say. And then you look at those two lives and someone's like, look at the guy from MySpace. I mean, he's traveling to Thailand and Bali and he's doing, he's just have, it looks like he has this amazing, like essentially it's not trying to say stress-free. He has this kind of a life uh, where he has this freedom to do these things. And then you have, Mark Zuckerberg dragged in front of Congress. You know, everybody hates you. Uh, you're beholden to all these different people. You have this gigantic company. Um, and imagine those stressors at that level. Um, so, there, so they were like, so this was the question they posed. Uh, and this is somebody, I'm just regurgitating a story, so it might be a little bit messed up, but the idea is the same. And they said, the question then would be, which path would you take? It was you. Anonymity is bliss. You know, I want to have enough money that my kids can go into a life of public service and never be stressed, never have a house payment. Mm -hmm. Um, I I want them to do what they love, but I want them to be also somehow serving their community or their country. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to stress about money, uh, but I don't I don't do anything for the money. There's not a job I've ever taken for Mm -hmm. the money. Um, If I didn't 
wholeheartedly love being a SEAL team, I'd be gone. Being on TV is fun, cool. You can help you push narratives for charities and other things. But, mm -hmm. but you know, every single business I'm involved in, I absolutely have to be part of it for my soul. Like, I love it. Like, when I was with Cry, like, with Caleb. Even now, if Caleb called me right this second and said, hey, I got something on the books, let's go. Jack Carr, great to see you. Thanks for your time. Boom. You know, boom. Um, life is so short, and as you've seen, man, people can evaporate for no reason whatsoever at any moment. You know, just had a friend die three weeks ago, you know, spent 18 years in special operations at the unit, got out of the unit, retired, literally driving cross country with his two dogs to go link up with his family for 4th of July and got hit by a truck and died. Uh. You know, like for no reason whatsoever. Great dude, wasn't risking it, was literally just driving to see his family. You know, you can risk it all and be fine. You could die in combat. You could die at any time for any reason. And um, life is really fragile and short. So make make the most of absolutely every day of it. Yeah, if I don't love it, I don't care how much you're going to pay me, I'm not in. Yeah. If it's important to me I'll, and, I, and you have no money, I'll do it for you for free. I just, I, I just want to be happy. I want to have fun doing what I'm doing. And I want to be a good role model for my kids and, and anyone that, Gives a shit enough to watch. Yeah. So. Oh, man. Love it. And uh, I want to ask you a couple more things before we zip off here. And SEAL Team. So you, is it seventh season or eighth season? That it will go oh, into the seventh. This is the seventh that's starting. Um, and what episode stands out to you is something that's, because uh, some of them are, are extremely emotional. And I loved end of episode, end of season one, Sonny on the couch. Yeah. With silence. Yeah, playing the, yeah. Like that was Pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to AJ. AJ Buckley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does such a great job portraying Sonny Quinn. Uh -huh. um, for, the guys for an Irish kid from Can living in Canada, he, he is one hell of an American right now. That's a, absolutely. I, yeah. And I think this role in the community that watches the show has mm -hmm. really, really inspired him and given him some idea of, of what makes this country so awesome. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I always joke with everyone there. I, I feel like I'm SEAL Team's biggest fan. Like, I love the second mm -hmm. the director's cuts come out, I'm watching them. Mm -hmm. The second the network cuts come out, I'm watching them. Mm -hmm. I'm giving my notes. But, like, I don't watch them the next day. I watch them that night. Mm -hmm. um, I'm genuinely excited. I stopped watching dailies just because I have no say. The only time I'll watch dailies. If well, that's a lot. That's a lot of time. If there's a, if there's a shot where I know is is messed up okay. and I need to let the editors know uh, but okay. generally I'll wait till it gets into the director's cut and I'll say mm -hmm. oh this x y and z needs to get changed or you know the scope reticle for this doesn't match the scope for this mm. like those kind of small details that don't really matter to anybody but oh they matter uh, yeah but not to the general Hollywood that's what differentiates <laughs> so uh but, uh, you know, there are so many episodes where I flat out cried. I could probably start crying right now talking about some of them. Um, you know, the whole Swanee story with the VA disability yeah. stuff was really emotional. That was... Um, Came from a real place. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know if I should tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So uh, I won't say who it was out of privacy, but we all did this veterans event. Uh, and it was a very public event and it was televised and we were with these veterans for the whole day. And at the end of the day, like cameras are still rolling. One of them pulls me aside and says, I called the number. Thank you. 
and and, I, and it took me a second. It literally caught me so out of left mm-hmm. field. It took me a second, and I, I realized that after the whole Swanee story, we did mm-hmm. the whole infomercials with the Veterans Help Hotline, and that was the number she was referring to. And she was, or they were going to kill themselves, um, and uh, and they called the number. And and the fact that like, I'm sorry. It's a TV show, and it's it's great to be part of a TV show, but it's Hollywood. It's all make-believe. It's fake. But if we can translate that into doing something that helps people, mm-hmm. that's that's important. And it really gives that platform to be able to make a difference. You yeah. know, you know, one of the <coughs> another really great compliment I got was from a guy from a development group who I thought was going to come at me and give me some some <laughs> a mouthful about playing a navy seal on tv and he and he was like listen you know i just wanted to say i really love your show for the mm-hmm. reason that it allows me to sit down with my 16 year old son and open up an avenue for him to ask questions because mm-hmm. i missed his entire youth i missed his birthdays i missed everything mm-hmm. i missed his baseball games and and like he never knew why he knew daddy worked for the navy but he never mm-hmm. understood why and you know watching the show with him opens up an avenue for discussion and conversation. And it, you know, most of these guys don't become seals or army special operations guys because they like to talk about what they do. They get in it to make a difference Mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't offer explanations or apologies generally, but if people ask them questions, they'll answer them and, you know, explain. Yeah. And that really kind of touched me just in the, in the whole concept of, something greater than television in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, we can provide entertainment, uh, inspiration, uh, but ultimately an avenue for family connection, yeah. which is really nice. Yeah, man. Yeah. When we started getting texts, me and Jared, um, that night the, the show premiered and I'm getting texts from damn net guys and Delta guys that are, uh, it, cause that's, those are hard audiences to uh, uh and please is the wrong word but uh respect for something out of hollywood from those two audiences is a little, little, little few and far between i would say so to get uh, those text messages after the show came out from from those guys who have done so much for the country downrange um was pretty cool that was pretty cool and uh so jared and i were talking and just you know like hey we just, just i just got one from so and so and he loved it and that sort of thing. So, and they tell you if they didn't, you oh, know, yeah, yeah they'll <laughs> let you know. So, uh, so that was really, that was really cool. Um, and, uh, for you on, on the show with Dita and now pepper. Yeah. And what's, uh, what stunt or like, didn't, didn't Dita go through the glass window? Like what's, which one has been the most, I don't know, stressful for you or the most, uh, uh, impactful or the most, like what, what's, what, uh, dog specific parts of the show stood out to you. So that's the really cool thing about these dogs is everything they do on the show, they can do in real life. Yeah. There's no rehearsals needed. And they think it's real. Yeah, it is real. That's why Dita had to get retired. Yeah. I mean, even though it's make believe it's a TV show, yeah. uh, to her, I mean, in her mind, she's seen more war than any military dog out there just mm-hmm. because every scene is six hours, you know, and it's just gunfight after gunfight with no reward to it. And yeah. I didn't know, and it's my fault. I, I take full responsibility for it. I didn't understand about the Hollywood process. 
And I just saw her developing over time of not wanting to put on her harness and go to work mm. and just shut down. So, listen, I love Hollywood. I love the show. There's no world where I'm going to sacrifice something I love for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and luckily, everyone at the show loves Dita more than they love me. Mm. So, uh, when I brought that to the attention of the leadership, <coughs> they wrote that whole storyline for the PTS for Dita uh, wow. Cerberus. Uh, and then I got Pepper. And then it just... You know, we don't want to be gimmicky with the dog. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't like we don't want the dog in scenes if if there's no need for a dog. Mm -hmm. uh, so if the mission calls for a dog, mm -hmm. she'll be with us. If there's something specific in the mission, mm -hmm. you know, there's you know, Pepper and Dita both have skydived. I, I would I would venture to say that both Dita and Pepper probably have more live fast ropes, spy lines, and hoist than any other dog in the country at this point. Yeah. Just because that's all we do with different agencies is a high angle insertion and extraction on our free time. But, you know, these dogs live it, you yeah. know, like, like Pepper's deployed. The, the new thing that we've been training on is aerial deployments. So like we'll come in on the Tyler benches on the side of the 125s mm. or on the little birds and I'll target her at about a hundred feet. <coughs> really? Oh Yeah. And then as we get down to like 25, I'll pull a quick disconnect off of her. Mm -hmm. And then it's on me to gauge. Dang. But while we're still flying in, and I'll show you a picture of it, it's pretty rad. Um, as we're flying in, I'll release her and she'll jump off and go take down the target. By the time we're skids down and, and Hilo's <coughs> unhooked, man, she's already on the bite. That's we, awesome. We did one out of a uh, 412 the other day that, you know, the, the two engine Hueys. Okay big four bladed ones mm -hmm. and it was pretty cool we were down in florida uh i was with trent who's a former he was benno's handler mm. not really famous dog that okay. the ranger battalion dog that okay. picture of him going through the breach uh -huh. so he put on a bite suit and we were doing it out of the 412 which is a little <laughs> bit harder coming out of the inside of the aircraft <coughs> gauging the height but sorry hold on <coughs> sounds like you need some black rifle <coughs> it does <coughs> awesome we make a note to yeah where the the um all the dust from the um remodel mm -hmm. it got in my throat. <coughs> Don't die on me. Ah. I will give you CPR right now. Oh, there we go. Ah, all right, we're back. We're back. Um, that's that's amazing. I mean, the dogs are. I mean, obviously they've so saved countless lives overseas and are invaluable in in law enforcement here and now as service support dogs and. It's uh, it's just amazing. But this, you can just tell. Look at this dog right here. I mean, that is, that's powerful. She's such a good dog and so kid oh, friendly, which man. is nice. And I saw the impact crate. You still still running the impacts? Yeah, I love them, mm -hmm. uh, especially the collapsible impacts. I had the collapsible you had on top of the uh, the forerunner yep. last time you came up. Yep, it makes him uh, it makes him easier. The collapsibles are great for travel. Mm -hmm. uh, you can put them. You can put them checked luggage, no problem. What I want to make is the impact crate gun case. So you can lock mm -hmm. your guns in it. And then when you get to where you're going, you take your guns out. That way you don't need two different Pelican cases. <coughs> yeah, that would be good. That'd be but good. they're, but they're, they're uh, solid crates are incredible. So I, yeah. I customized my new truck with the a fan has it and the fan. In oh there. yeah. You fan for the hot days. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I actually line my, my, <laughs> To match my, my nice. truck. So, solid. So it looks cool. But yeah, solid crates. Never had any issues with them. Everything's riveted. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic product. Amazing. Yeah. What, so what's, uh, other than the, the, the beef, kind of the cattle company, what, uh, what else is ahead? Is the focus going to be 
show and cattle company and family? Like, is that is that where the focus is these days? Yeah, uh, doing doing some uh, consulting stuff within the industry on some product design for some different companies, which has been really fun. Uh, trying to, you know, I've, I've, I've always liked using SEAL Team as a platform to evaluate equipment. Mm. So, you know, even though it's fake and it's Hollywood, the elements are still real. So, you know, before before it gets sent out for T&E uh, to certain organizations, I'll take it, we'll run it mm. and make changes based off of it. But, you know, it's, I, I love Hollywood, but I love that community so mm. much. I love the industry. I love being able to integrate in with the dudes. And I think seven years into the show, mm. guys are less hesitant to be seen with me now because they realize it's not, you know, I'm not trying to steal their stories and like mm. use their information for television. I, I want to mm. use good gear on television, but... Um, I really, you know, I really love the aspect of design and manufacturing yeah. as well. Man, that's awesome. So that's, you always staying busy. There's 24 hours in a day. There you go. Oh, and man. when you're fueled by black rifle coffee, <laughs> you get a lot more done. There you go. That is true. That is true. You gotta be careful how late in the day you drink that one in particular, the big one. So, uh, but you have, you have kids to juggle and, and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, that's probably good that you're drinking that, but, uh, man, thank you for coming up, brother. This Thanks, is sir. awesome. And uh, always great to to see you. And any excuse I have to, to to link up and hang out for a bit, I'm gonna always take it. So, uh, and congratulations on SEAL Team, and thank you for all you do for all these different organizations. It's not just boot campaign; you do a, a ton for all these different organizations. I've never known you to ever say no to anybody that reaches out asking for help, particularly from these veteran-focused law enforcement organizations. Um, so, so thank you for that, and for all you guys do on SEAL Team. I mean, you guys, you guys crush it with that show. And thank you for giving me endless hours of awesome audiobooks ah. while I'm driving cross country. Nice. Go yeah. check out the new book. There it is. Ray Porter crushing it on the audio again as narrator. Amazing guy. But uh, thanks, brother. Awesome. Thanks for everything. And uh, yeah, you have a family to get back to. So. Thanks for having me. And for all you, for all of you that are wondering, yes, I'm wearing Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Take care, brother. Thanks for having me. I've been a fan of Black Rifle Coffee Company since their inception. I love when veterans leave the military and pursue their passion. In this case, coffee. The coffee is fantastic, and as an added benefit, the company is built on quality, patriotism, and giving back to the veteran and first responder communities. I've been a subscriber to the BRCC Coffee Club for years and love it. My favorite is Silencer Smooth. It gets delivered every single month. The Black Rifle Coffee Club. Being part of the club gives you the power to elevate your coffee experience to the next level. The Black Rifle Coffee Club puts you in the driver's seat. You pick the texture and the roast you want, the frequency you want it delivered, and the quantity. You get to completely personalize your club orders, ensuring that your favorite coffee is sent to your door exactly how you want it, when you want it. Right now, Black Rifle Coffee is offering an exclusive opportunity for new coffee club members. Join today and enjoy 30% off your first order when you use the discount code DANGERCLOSE at checkout. That's right, 30% off just for being a part of our growing coffee community. Remember to use the discount code DANGERCLOSE at checkout.
Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. First off, thank you so much to Badass Workbench, badass-workbench.com, who built this for me. It is solid, and if you need something from them or thinking about a new desk, workbench, table, that sort of thing, and need customization, uh, check them out, badass-workbench.com. And Fort Knox, safe, right over there. You can just catch the corner of it in the video. Absolutely loving that safe. Um, check them out. Fort Knox. All right. Who I think we'll start with SIG today. This is another uh, custom works pistol from their concierge service that they offer. So check that out right there. A little different than the one I talked about a couple days ago. This one has the red dot optic on there. And this is the P320. Once again, go to Custom Works on the Six Hour website and then go to their concierge service and you can build your own pistol. So very cool. They have it for the 320 line and for the 365 line. So go and check that out for sure. And let's see here. Anthem. Anthem Jerky. I talked about these guys the other day too, but I hadn't tried the jerky yet. And uh, yeah, this is like my last bag because between the time I did that video and right now, I have uh, eaten most of the jerky that they sent. This is the bourbon version right here, and it's uh, veteran founded and A N T H E M bourbon. The bourbon, and this is from uh, Bozeman, Montana. So they are just up the road here in Montana. And the whiskey that they use, the bourbon that they use, is from Willie's Distillery. And the founder is a former 75th Ranger Regiment guy, SF guy, and a smoke jumper. So Willie's Distillery, looking forward to trying that soon. And check out Anthem once again right here. And this is Meat Ready to Eat. This is MRE, handcrafted using barrel-aged fine bourbon from Montana's own Willie's Distillery. Veteran-owned and operated operation rooted in Montana. So, yeah, very cool. Check these guys out. 10% of profits go to veteran and first responder organizations. So, that's cool. Website, anthemsnacks.com. So, bam, I'm going to finish these up as soon as this podcast is over. And Justin Melnick, man, awesome. Look at this. This is, uh, so go to Bravo Team Gear on Instagram, and there's the Bravo logo right there from the seal team show uh justin thank you so much for this and thanks for coming by today we talked a little bit about plate carriers in the podcast so this is uh one of the plate carriers that i used in the seal teams and from london bridge trading company so uh london bridge just an amazing company out there for my first day actually before i was even a seal so in buds i was noticing backpacks that the instructors were carrying around these black backpacks from a place called london bridge so they make some amazing stuff out here and uh you can tell this one has some miles on it uh of course here's an early or, or semi-early Anyway, uh, mag from, from Magpul right there. I have the plates in here. I had a grenade on the side. I always had a grenade with me. Uh, and then this was kind of a catch-all bag over here for smoke or crashes or whatever the mission might need. And uh, then I have some water, obviously, in, uh, in the back there. And then my two embitter radios would go right there. And I have the antennas hardwired in to the back, so it's all nice and slick. So loved this setup. And... Uh, Justin told me it's a little old, though. He said this thing is a little dated, so he's going to uh, hook it up with something a little little newer. So I've been meaning to do that for a while, get some plates and a new plate carrier, but uh, things have been pretty busy, writing books and that sort of a thing. So uh, it might be time 
to retire this. Served me well and absolutely love it, but very uh, uh, excited for a new setup as well. So, Justin, thank you in advance, my friend. And speaking of Justin, so nice. He brought me two knives from Stroop Knives, S-T-R-O-U-P Knives. And go to StroopKnives.com, made in the USA, out of Fort Bragg, right there, Fayetteville. And here's the blade right here that Justin brought me. So look at that. Very cool. And then cross tomahawks on that side, if you can see that. There it is, right there. This thing feels nice. So we talked about this on the podcast, but this is very cool. Justin, thank you. And then they wrote, uh, inscribed a little something here. Uh, on the spine, and that means a lot to me. So, Justin, thank you. Stroop Knives, thank you as well. And then uh, Justin also gave me this from Stroop Knives. So little non-metallic blade right here. So that's pretty sweet. So thank you guys so much. And I think that is it for today. Take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Justin Melnick and what he has going on, be sure to follow him on Instagram at Justin Melnick. You can also follow at Bravo Team Gear for all the gear used in the SEAL Team CBS, now SEAL Team on Paramount Plus television show. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels, officialjackcar.com. That's the website. Click on shop in the upper right-hand corner for the merch. And if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting.